Happy Monday, and welcome back to another new week of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host. I'm Chris Henry from the EAA Aviation Museum. And we're still up in space building a uh, lithium hydroxide uh, bypass filter. It's exactly uh, what I think we would be doing if we went into space. Like that just I, yeah. sounds spacey. <laughs> where's where's my uh, where's my duct tape? Yeah, <laughs> give, me, give me a plastic bag and some uh, rocks. Um, this one, there's there's a lot of things to talk about in this minute. Um, the sim- simplest thing I want to talk about is uh, there's there's a lot of cuts. There's almost uh, I think I counted them. There's uh, 23 cuts in 60 seconds. Wow. So we're seeing some of the some of these are like half second scenes. And uh, some of them are just a couple of frames long, and some of them are, are long, long scenes. Um, uh, oh, excuse me, I, I read I read that wrong. It's uh, wait a minute, I'm looking at the wrong. I was looking at the wrong minute. This one has uh, no. This one is only 13 cuts, 13 cuts across the uh, across the minute, and it's just a lot of different things. There are a lot of inserts, a lot of a uh, lot of real live video footage uh, featuring uh, veteran. Uh, veteran astronaut Wally Shira, the real Wally Shira, and uh, of course Walter Cronkite. Uh, I do notice, and I guess they hadn't cleared it with Wally's estate. Uh, there's no, there's no words from Wally in this. And since uh, Walter Cronkite was already doing uh, dialogue replaced uh, uh, dialogue in this movie, I guess they uh, saved a bit of cash. I mean, I, they could probably use Wally Shira's likeness because it was part of a news show but uh uh yeah i think they would have had to pay more if they had his voice on the uh on on this uh event although he you know he was he was still i mean he, wally shara only we only lost wally shara in 2007 but uh i think you know it, it it's very odd that they <laughs> they cut it off just as he's about to say something um <laughs> uh, and you know I, I i've said this before i grew up with i grew up with the with Walter Cronkite and with uh, Chet Huntley and uh, David Brinkley on NBC, or uh, there was a bunch on, on NBC, and then Jules Bergman and Frank Reynolds on ABC. Um, but Walter was always the go-to guy that a lot of people went to. I, I didn't, I, I wasn't that fond of his patter. He kept a constant, kept kept a constant talk of patter and didn't let things speak for themselves. Although in this case, they're not. You know, I mean, they could plug in the, uh, the li- listening to them uh, building a. Uh, lithium hydroxide container but uh they're explaining they're, they're putting it in context so at times like that it's a good time for this kind of commentary i just wasn't a a big con- cronkite guy even though you shared a uh, time in a swimming pool with him yes i have done <laughs> i've done laps with walter yeah. so that was uh <laughs> my brush with my brush with fame although no brushing he was he was well on the other side of the pool um and uh it's one of those one of those uh, this is a, a really dumb thing from my past, but uh, a good friend of mine who, who passed away a, a while back, I, he had a, a massive conspiracy theory that you never, they were both on CBS, but you never saw Walter Cronkite and Captain Kangaroo on at the same time. So, uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. 
and uh, they both had bushy mus- mustaches so you know go figure um <laughs> it's uh yeah it's, it's pure but uh yeah they were uh, back then you know it's we live in a different world now where news is 24 hours a day and they're trying to find every you know you're watching people talking about nothing you don't you know they, they cover the same ground again and again and again but back then you could have these discussions with people who knew what they were talking about and they would only show up when there was something to talk about you wouldn't just fill the empty hours um and people like Cronkite and Wally Shira were really good at jawboning about things. They were kind of like, you know, rudimentary podcasters of what we what we do nowadays. And uh, putting putting things in context was always very interesting. And Cronkite was very much a uh, he was a hands on guy. Kind of, I, I want to say like MythBusters. They if if he wanted if he wondered about how something worked, they'd suit him up and he'd go in the vomit comet, or they'd suit him up and he'd get in a centrifuge. And he wasn't afraid of that. And he was an he's an older fella. He was in his he was in his fifties when all this was going on. So it was you know quite a quite a thing for him to be banging around <laughs> banging around in a centrifuge yeah. at his age. And he wasn't you know he wasn't a, a a fighter pilot or anything like that. He was a war correspondent and stuff. And he he did he was in great shape. I mean when I saw him in sixty May of sixty nine he was doing laps in a pool like uh, I, I wish I wish I was in his kind of shape. I guess if I did laps in a pool. I'd, probably be more probably be in better shape but uh yeah he was uh, very much an outdoorsman he would do a lot of uh i know he he did a lot of uh sailing he had a, a rather large sailboat that he would operate in the you know, off of long island in massachusetts and things so he was very much an outdoorsy rugged fellow and uh the only the only thing i have in common with walter cronkite is we both have uh uh degrees in uh broadcasting from the university of texas <laughs> That's where that's where our ways parted, um, but yeah, he at the time he was a very trust he was a very trusted voice, and uh, being able to talk to other astronauts, uh, he was close friends with Wally Shira, and uh, they had a they had a really good rapport rapport on TV. It's a shame, like there is a lot of stuff on YouTube, but mostly you're only seeing the launch parts and the uh, the splashdown parts. Uh, there's a lot of different parts of a mission where. Uh, Wally and Walt would talk to each other about uh, different things going on in the space program and explaining uh, the, the technology behind things. And for that, he was very good. I just I didn't like to watch him when major events were happening. I didn't like watching him during a launch. I didn't like watching him during a lunar landing because he had a tendency of talking over when the when the astronauts were saying. And the astronauts, of course, and mission control were the ultimate primary sources. You didn't if you were if you were a space geek kid, you didn't need you didn't need the extra commentary. Um, but it's uh, I, I do like I do like in this movie showing that he was a part of all this. He, you know the the reportage of this was as much a part of space history as uh, the astronauts were because this is what people saw. This is how people learned what was going on. People like Jules Bergman and uh, and John Chancellor and. Uh, Chet Huntley and Jim Hartz and Frank McGee and David Brinkley, you know, I, you know, all on down the line. There were so many people. And I, I guess, Chris, when you were growing up, you had uh, John Zarella and Miles O'Brien, right? I mean, when you were watching these things? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, if so, you know, not just in the space program, but if something went wrong, um, you know, we didn't have Cronkite, but we had, uh, oh, geez, I'm, I'm spacing on his name right now. Uh, from, he was from Texas as well. Uh, what am I thinking of? 
Hmm. What network? Do you know it? CBS. On CBS. Um, yeah, well, Dan Rather would. Dan Rather. Probably, that's it. Yeah. That's the name. See that Dan Rather was my Walter Cronkite. Okay. Um, yeah. And and you know Dan Rather took over for uh, for Cronkite when Cronkite retired. So yeah, it was very much uh, Rather uh, would be on site. And of course he was he started in Houston. So he was, you know, very he was a very familiar face there with the space program, and he was kind of when Walter was talking to uh, Mission Control, he'd throw it to Dan a lot of times because he was down there in Texas and could talk Texan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That so and that was any time there was a major event that I in my childhood, you know, eighties uh, and nineties, like that. I, I just remember, and my parents were at CBS, still are, you know, uh, CBS. Uh, which the local affiliate is KDKA, which is yeah. the oldest station yeah. uh, still going. Uh, the yeah. first station, their call letters are you know have a K in it, and uh, yeah, and east um, of the Mississippi. So <laughs> yeah, you know, so um, it, and it's so funny. I remember this. My whole family, not just my parents, but my grandparents, uncle, everything, KDKA and the, and and CBS were it. Where I remember my grandmother had a TV. And in the lower right corner, they would always put, like, the CBS logo. And that got burned into her TV. <laughs> and, I, and I kid you not. Like, I don't know how that happened. I don't know. Because she wouldn't even turn the ta- channel. So even when, like, like she was watching something else, like, the CBS logo was burned in the lower right corner of wow. the TV. Wow. I have no idea how that happens. Uh, I don't even know if it's scientifically possible, but it happened. So, um, I don't <laughs> I have no idea how that would work. But. Well, it's like seeing one of those uh, Space Invaders uh, uh, arcade games, and even if you turn them off, it shows you where the high score was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, wow. My uh, uh, my aunt, uh, who uh, passed about four years ago, she was uh, big. She, she watched a lot of TV, but she didn't understand too much of the technology involved with cable boxes and how to how to change. Uh, to different different you know which remote to use and things like that so she had uh, in her home she had two different tvs one in her bedroom and one in her living room and she liked the, the her two favorite shows that she liked to watch was uh, wheel of fortune and jeopardy and her son had set up the two different uh tvs so that one was tuned to the channel that showed wheel of fortune and she would watch TV in her living room and watch Wheel of Fortune. And then when it was time for Jeopardy, she'd run up to her bedroom and watch uh, Jeopardy in her bedroom. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's a, I, I don't know if it's brand loyalty or just fear of technology. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> no. But yeah, KDKA is a, gosh, that's a that's a landmark place. I mean, they, they were the first, uh, if, I, if memory serves from my old TV history classes, uh, they were the first... Uh, radio station to broadcast election results they broadcast uh president harding's election in 1920 so oh wow been, that's awesome they've been that's, they're older than right rock my, that was right in my backyard i mean that wow. was kdk was if you live in pittsburgh you listen to kdk i mean oh yeah there are other you know of course there's the other major networks but uh um i don't know it's just uh when i'm home and uh, visiting my parents and things like that. There's just something warm about having KDK on in the house, even. Like I, I know yeah. that probably sounds weird or cheesy, but but you get you know your home when you when you hear that broadcast and you know some of those broadcasters that are on now have been there for decades. Oh yeah, you probably um, have like a weatherman that's been there since he's 70 years Stacey old. And everybody Smith, knows him. Absolutely, man. Yeah, <laughs> still going strong. <laughs> 
Wow. Um, well, uh, anyway, as you know, and, and of course, Walter Cronkite was was CBS, just like KDKA. And uh, we're seeing a bunch of different ones. They don't they don't really show much of the NBC. Bro. I was more of an NBC guy when I watched the space program because they they knew when to pull back on on chatting about stuff. So they would explain stuff in between. But when things were actually happening, they'd kind of shut up and and let history talk about itself. Um, <laughs> but uh, this has uh, a couple of different scenes where we get to see they're putting things together, and of course the carbon dioxide levels uh, rising. And I was looking up. Uh, uh, carbon dioxide exposure. One of the things that is wrong, but it could be that they, they're just cold, uh, is the coughing. They're showing that they're coughing while they're uh, putting the thing together, and they're, uh, the coughing is not a sign of, uh, of carbon dioxide poisoning. Mostly, carbon dioxide causes your body to uh, hyperventilate. You, you tend to take deeper breaths faster. And uh, if, uh, if, you, if you do that, it, it, it's you don't speed up your breathing, but you, you take a lot deeper breaths more often, uh, trying to clear the, clear the carbon dioxide out of your lungs. And uh, it, uh, that's how, uh, if you take uh, medicine for, if you get altitude sickness like, like I do, uh, the medication that you take uh, tricks your body into thinking that you've got carbon dioxide in your lungs. So your tendency is to inhale a larger volume, which helps at higher altitudes. And uh, so I was like, "Oh, that—that's how it went. That was my that was my thing I learned from from uh, watching this minute, just <laughs> looking up things about about the uh, anoxia problems." You know, I, um, I never experienced that uh, until recently. I spent some time in Colorado Springs, huh. and I hadn't—I I couldn't figure out why I was getting like short of breath so easy. I mean, and you know, I'm like, "Man, what's going on?" And then finally, someone's like, "You know, you're like." like 9,000 feet where we are right now, right? <laughs> you know, and Oshkosh is at like 300 feet. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I, yeah, I guess I didn't realize, you know, we were partway up Pike's Peak and, you know, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, that's a re- very real thing. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Anytime I'm, I'm up in the Rockies at all, we go, uh, uh, I first started noticing it when I was in the oil business and I'd have to go, uh, there's oil well rigs in the Hardeman Basin of, uh, of, of the Colorado. It's kind of at the base of the Rockies, but it's still, you know, a mile up. And I would get, every time I'd go there, I'd get these splitting headaches. And I thought, well, I'm probably not sleeping right or I'm not eating right and things. And I finally, I came home and I started feeling better. And when I had seen, I, I had to go to a regular doctor's check. And I said, I was, I was out in Colorado and I got really bad headaches. And he said, oh, it's altitude sickness. And uh, I got on these pills, which uh, I can't remember the name of them. But there, that it just changes it so that your your body thinks that you're breathing deeper. And now, anytime you know, if my wife and I are going going traveling, and, and it looks like we're going to wind up in like Santa Fe or or uh, just some, somewhere somewhere where there's mountains, it's like I better bring my pills, and I'll take them the day before we get there. And I haven't had any problems since, and I don't feel sick, and I can eat, and I'm you know, I, it, but it's like almost like a migraine. Yeah, um, yeah, very strange. Yeah, but uh, anyway, these uh, these guys are kind of experiencing uh, a different a different type of anoxia. But uh, uh, one of the th- things that pop up, uh, we see our our, our good friend uh, Brent Cullen is uh, putting together uh, this, uh, or he's he's not putting it together. He has it in front of him, but he's uh, trying to explain what the box looks like. And uh, he's sitting there with a uh, a character actor who I'm trying to see if we can get on the show. Hopefully. We can get him on before our show's finished, but it's uh, Victor Von Hune, 
who uh, he plays character actor in a bunch of different movies. But one of the things that he's done, and of course he's a friend of Ron Howard, is uh, he was uh, Ron Howard's acting coach when Ron Howard was on Happy Days. And uh, seeing him here in this movie, he does a, he does a great job being the technician. He's the uh, he's the same guy that was like, all right, people, we've got to do get this done and that done. Um, but uh, good, very very good bit of casting, and probably a good good thing to be friends friends with Ron Howard. <laughs> And you know, ever since Brett said that thing about how he's he's also an astronaut in this, and he doesn't get a white shirt every time he's on, I can't help but notice that he's wearing a different color shirt than anybody else. <laughs> I always look to see what color he's wearing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but great, great looking uh, moment there. Uh, another thing that comes up in this in this minute is the uh, James Horner music, and uh, James Horner doing a wonderful theme, and this, the the theme on this is is amazing. But there are complaints that people have sometimes, and I don't think it's—I don't think it's justified because he is—he's an artist, and he gets to—he has a style, and as as anybody else has a style, this is his particular style. But he's been accused of uh, self-plagiarism because a lot of his themes, especially what they call the danger theme, are present in—they're uh, present in this minute. You're in this da 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 da, and the uh, the cascading uh, drums as it goes through he people complain that he steals from himself and to me that's i mean that's what he sounds like you know if you write polkas all your polkas sound similar so it's like <laughs> this is this is his language this is the language that he uses to express danger and uh mounting tension and i think you know it, it we we've learned what that song sounds like so i don't i don't have a problem with it but it's just it's very evident in this particular um particular minute and uh, it also sounds a lot of people complain that he's kind of cribbing from uh, Rachmaninoff's uh, first overture, and I've, I've listened to I've listened to Rachmaninoff, and while I can hear parts of it, I don't think it's that direct a uh, a copy. I'm not a I'm not a music aficionado, but I've heard I've heard things that people complain that he's copying from, and I'm I'm just not hearing it here. Um, I like the I love the music in this. It's a uh, it's fantastic and really builds the tension. Um, yeah, I like how he can make building a filter emotional with that music yes. i mean yeah yeah, yeah. I, I now i now i've i had my filter light on my uh I, I can't do this for a while on my furnace i changed out the air filters for the springtime but i, I keep thinking oh, next time next time i got to change that when that filter light comes on i got to start playing this minute in the background one so the light in our refrigerator uh, water filtration system came on you got to change the filters oh there you go once in a while and i started wondering if i could build a like just out of some stuff around the house and build a filter system to bypass it. But my, wife, my wife vetoed that. So. Oh. <laughs> On the Amazon, got it coming. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, like, I wonder if I could build another filter. You know? <laughs> oh, well, next time. Some, some, someday, you know. When, when, uh, someday I'll get to try and build a water filter. Yeah, and as, yeah, what I would do is you're... I'd call you and have you describe how to build it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be reading it off of uh, – I'll be watching a YouTube video and then trying to figure out how to tell – Oh, I'll yeah, exactly. tell Chris to don't, – don't do that step. But first got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. My, my problem with this is all my instructions would be, oh, but before you do that, and then you'd have to undo so, it. I was just thinking, and this is going really off the rails, and I apologize for those listening, but one of my favorite – favorite moments in the TV show MASH was when they're trying to disarm a bomb and Henry Blake is behind like a sandbag area with a bullhorn and Hawkeye and Trapper are creeping up on this bomb that fell into the camp that didn't explode 
and he's like, you know, calling out the orders to them, and they're, and he goes, cut the red wire, and they cut the red wire, and he's like, but first, disengage <laughs> something, and they all just look <laughs> at each other, you know, and it's just this funny moment. If anybody is a fan of that show and knows that episode, they they know what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, anyway, no, it, not to just not to bring it, it, something else into it. I there was a match minute that we were on, so ver- yeah, very relatable. Yes, no, it's. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, this this has been a good a good minute of watching watching things happening, and uh, there's there's a lot more. I mean, they're they're getting they're getting things done, which I I <laughs> I keep. I, I think the tendency is you think what what I do in this situation and stuff, and I I get the terrible feeling I'd be arguing as like what you're saying doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I just I I'd hope I'd be optimistic and uh, attentive, <laughs> just I... not be. Yeah, I'm not even sure. I mean, that, that boy, to put yourself in that seat, you know. Uh, I, well, I think it sums up best in the one uh, moment, you know, where uh, uh, Jack says, uh, I wish you were here to see this. And Ken's like, I'm sure you do. <laughs> you know, um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, that, God, that yeah, would be yeah. a, that'd be a, a pretty scary uh, moment to, in, a, in a place and time to be, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I, I would think not. I mean, I mean, you have never had to talk somebody through plugging in a, a filter like this, to, you know, and pain of death. But you must have had experiences where you've had to talk somebody through on, a, you know, an air traffic being able to, you know, like their their radio, their, something's not working, and you've got to get them back back on so they can land. I had a, um, you know, I had some. So I worked on medical helicopters prior to becoming an air traffic controller, and because of that, I think it trained me. I was a dispatcher, and I think it trained me to uh, be ready for the unknown because yeah. medical helicopters have to do a lot of weird things. Um, so when I became an air traffic controller, I was really, really comfortable with emergency situations um, because the position I had come from, that's all we were. Every every time we flew, it was an emergency situation. Wow. Um, so so I, would, I did get some emergencies in the tower, and... Uh, you know, my thing was, is you're so, there's this rush of adrenaline um, that you, you don't even realize things are happening like they are. I mean, like, you, you've trained for things for so long that when it happens, it's all just natural instinct. Like, I don't even think you think about it. It's just, oh, this is happening. Here's all the training I've done. And you just go right through the manual. And by the time that it's all done, um, you know, you try to, you know, and, you, and, you, and on top of it, you try to be sensitive to the situation and, and provide the best service you can. But by the time that it's all done, it feels like it was three hours, and in real real uh, life, it was like three minutes. Yeah, um, yeah. And that, that's that's one thing that I've noticed is time goes really, really fast. Although it, it you know, it feels like at the time that this thirty seconds was three hours, and that's not the case. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but that, yeah, that's I, just my experience. So. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I, I listen, I, 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 I kind of binge listen to ATC radio on uh, on YouTube, and I'm always just amazed that there's things like, um, I forget what the, I forget what the acronym is, but when the, when the pilot doesn't have a radio, and uh, and you oh, kind of no have rad or, uh, no rad or no rad, yeah, 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 they, uh, and, and like you have to, and, and it's like it's it's at JFK at 5 p.m. <laughs> The guy has no radio. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's like and they're talking. Every, you know, like they 
they contact everybody else that that's in their that's in their sector and they're like by the way there's there's somebody with no rad and and you've got to you know go to 8000 feet and stay on this heading and and you know and it's just like go down they're going down like 10 different planes just you know right after they acknowledge they get onto the next plane and the next plane and the next plane and meanwhile there's this you know there's this big jet going through with nothing <laughs> that nobody's talking to um i just it's just fascinating to me that but like you said it's it's the training and getting into the situation where you don't you don't panic because you already know this, and you've said this before that you have to get in there when you're going to work that you are the best person for the job, and nobody can else do as good a job as you are by being there today. So I I think that's how when you're watching when you're watching the Apollo 13 astronauts working on this, there's nobody else that's going to rescue them. It's the guy on the other end of the radio, so they're going to have to trust what they do and do exactly what they say. And, uh, Going I up think... the steps to the tower cab in the control tower that I worked in, we actually had uh, the sign. Uh, a, it was a replica, but it was a replica sign uh, from Notre Dame because we were close to Notre Dame uh, that said "Play like a champion today." And uh, you know, it was uh, it was just a, it was another moment that you'd walk up those steps and you're like, "I'm the best air traffic controller that ever lived." And, yeah. Uh, and it's not a it's not cocky. I mean, and no. That's, you know, you're, you're, of course I'm going to do a good job because it's me and I wouldn't dare not do a good job. And I'm, I'm sure that's what the, the crew, uh, mission control, I think that's how they all feel is when they come in that door, they're, they're there for a reason. And it's true. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, they are there for a reason. They are the best people for these jobs. So. Yeah. I, and I think this, I, as we were talking last week with all the uh, this kind of manufactured argument that you know the raised voices and shouting at each other, that was good for the movies. But it's not like that because you need you have competent people on board, and the the only downside of competent people is it's boring <laughs> to watch them doing their job really good. Um, but this you know this this kind of shows what what kind of what kind of people they are that that managed to get get us to the moon both in the ship and on the ground. Well, I think um, if you want to talk about the caliber of the people you have in there and the fact that they were all, you know, test pilots mainly would keep their cool. Just remember that um, Wally Shira was it, it was Wally Shira that uh, on his Gemini flight didn't get the lift that he was supposed to get. You know, they had a they had a, a valve close right on the on yeah. lift up. Yeah, yeah, one, one uh, a quarter of a second into it, plus plus one quarter second. Right, and he doesn't abort. Yeah, you know, because he wants to try to save the rocket because he wants to go fly. That's incredible. Like to have yeah. that something has happened. This could be catastrophic, but hold on, I'm gonna hold on a second and not punch out of this thing. A because we really don't know what that's gonna be like. Yeah. But B because you know that's just how cool and calm these guys were. I mean, um, you know, I, I think it was Al Warden that told us a story that when he was talking to Neil after Neil ejected out of the uh, training device, uh, the land, the lunar lander trainer, that you know he was like, well, gee, Neil, you, you know, you, geez, are you okay? Like, you, you kind of almost bought the farm, and Neil was like. No, no, I, it wasn't that close. I had another second or two. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty that, of time. That's who you had in the cockpits, uh, in the seats of these spacecraft. I mean, these guys are, they're cool. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's all there is yeah. to it, in more ways than one. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, they're just it, it's amazing. And we lived and we lived in their time. That's the that's the other amazing yeah. part about this people like that around. Wow. Well, uh, we have lots to talk about as, as the week progresses. Um, so, folks, if, if you haven't listened to previous episodes, go out. You know, where the, you know all these places, uh, Apollo13minute.com, uh, Apollo13minute.com, and uh, at, uh, Apple Podcasts and all that. You, we'll, we'll skip all that. But uh, reach out to us if you get a chance. We're on Facebook at uh, Mission Con- uh, Apollo 13 Mission Control and also on Twitter at Apollo 13 Minute. Love hearing from you. A lot of interesting questions we're getting this past week. Uh, about the sh- about the show and about uh, different things in space history, and it's always fun to to chat about that kind of stuff. So if you see something we've missed, or if you have a question, uh, always reach out. It's, it's great hearing from you. But uh, looks like we're coming up on loss of signal in about thirty seconds. So we will see you here tomorrow on the Apollo thirteen minute.